welcome back to The Process. I'm Nick Veronica. We got Charlie Bukowski here. Charlie, how are you? Nick, I am great. Have you heard the news? Um, I've heard lots of news. I have a feeling you're going to tell me different news. I'm going to tell you probably something you haven't heard, but man, all us millennial 90s babies should all get excited because Dunkaroos are back. They're back? They're back, man. They're making a huge comeback. I'm so excited. I am like overjoyed with the uh, with the return of Dunkaroos that I hope Costco has them because you best believe I'm going to go down there and I'm buying like two large boxes full. Dude, I used to love Dunkaroos. I mean, the, the, the frosting was the best part. I could do like, not that they were bad, but they were essentially like glorified Teddy Grahams and then it was all about that frosting and there was never enough frosting. Like the ratio would always bum me out because I wanted so much more frosting. Oh, absolutely. I I am such a fan of the frosting. Especially, I think the one they're coming back out with is like the one with like the white frosting and the sprinkles, which is obviously Ooh, like the, the Funfetti? Yeah, the Funfetti's the best. Yes, absolutely. So I'm super excited about that. Um, when does this come out? I don't know. I just saw that it came out, that, that it was coming back <laughs> out. I got like overly excited and I just read to make sure that it was a, a true uh, thing. But I, I, I didn't read far enough to find out when they were coming out. <laughs> I probably should have done that, though. All right, Charlie, I have a question for you. Yes. What is a place, three words, seven letters, three letters, four letters? What is a place? Oh, man. I don't know, Nick. What is it? Uh, dude, come on. Buffalo, New York. This was uh, of course. If you watched if you watched Wheel of Fortune last week, Buffalo, New York was the answer to a clue on Wheel of Fortune. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I am I am an old man at heart, and uh, I watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy every single night. Uh, It's like part of my nightly routine. And that one night, I missed Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) You know what's crazy is like we're in such an age of. No one watches live TV. It's all recorded or it's smartphone or whatever. Jeopardy, especially, and maybe a little bit of Wheel of Fortune, but Jeopardy is one of like the last actual appointment viewing things. And you can, the advertisements for Jeopardy, I've heard, are very, very expensive, uh, which is good for the TV networks, but because they know it's like the last remaining show outside of like the news that people will legitimately tune in for every night. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't watch Jeopardy? It's, I feel like Jeopardy and wheel of fortune and um prices right are like the three go-to shows for for anyone you know especially prices mm-hmm. right when you're homesick but i feel like oh, it's not during the day yeah yeah so charlie you know what else everyone also watches with the that? super bowl yeah the not, super bowl you know how many people watch super bowl this year nick um i i saw this give me one sec- i want to guess was it like I don't, this sounds too specific. I think I saw 99 million. Close. Ooh, that great guess. 98.2 million people watched the Super Bowl this year. Oh, that's super close. <laughs> yeah, very close. So, so good job, man. I, I was, uh, uh, I was one of them, and I'm sure you were too. Absolutely. So, what, what do you got? Like, what, what did you think of the game? You know, I know we, we talked about it a little bit last week. Um, we did some prop bets. We, you know, we talked about how both offenses we thought were going to be. You know, explosive at times, and and how maybe the the defense of San Francisco is really going to end up winning them that game. But in reality, to me, it seemed like, especially in that fourth quarter, that defense for San Francisco just completely collapsed. 
Yeah, I was I was thinking through through about halftime and into the third quarter even. I was like, this game sucks. This is like two Super Bowls in a row that are just lame. Uh, and then obviously the Chiefs the Chiefs roared back. They scored three touchdowns in a span of like just over six or in the final six twenty one or whatever. Uh, they won thirty one twenty. Patrick Mahomes won his first of possibly many Super Bowls. Um, I don't know what you say about San Francisco. I feel I feel bad, but also not like it's for Kyle Shanahan. Like it's not his fault that he's been in two of the biggest blow, blown leads in Super Bowl history. He was the play caller for, for San Francisco. He was the play caller for Atlanta when they blew the 28-3 lead against the Patriots a couple of years ago. Do you know Do you know what Kyle Shanahan's um, record is or, you know, stats are, I guess, for the fourth quarter uh, in a Super Bowl? I saw that. So the, I have counting right. this year, yep, I have this year right and, and the, the Falcons game, Fourth quarter and overtime because the Patriots scored in overtime yep. to win. I want to say he's outscored 46-0. Yeah. He has scored zero points in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl that he has either been an OC or head coach in. That's terrible. Which bl- blows my mind, right? And and the one thing that I really took away, too, watching this game is I saw a lot of the same similarities in the fourth quarter of this game with San Francisco is what I saw in the fourth quarter of the game when he was with um, Atlanta. And that was they quit running the ball. It seemed like they wanted to come out and throw the ball more um, in the fourth quarter. And there was really no reason to. Yeah, it seemed like they lost. I mean, even going back to the end of the first half, they lost aggressiveness there. And that sort of rings a bell from from the Patriots Super Bowl a couple years ago. But I was just kind of surprised. Like, even end of the first half... Uh, I mean, great work by by the Fox crew who got the shot. But they're they they seem content going into halftime, ten ten, and they cut to the the booth, and the GM is up there. He's going timeout, 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 and no one's calling timeout. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what what do you like? This is the frigging Super Bowl. You put the pedal to the metal, and you try to go out and win the game. You don't you don't say we're content to be tied with Patrick Mahomes. You have the ball. You have a chance to score. Um, I mean, they finally in the last. What was it? Thirty, forty seconds. They threw the pass that was deep to Kittle, which ended up being called back on a penalty. But it's like you take your shot, even you never know. There could be defensive pass interference. You get all the way up there. It's like there's such a, a benefit, and the the worst case is like, you know, we throw an interception on deep ball, which is basically like an arm punt or, like I feel like teams are too too afraid of what what could go wrong and not not more focused on. We have the ball in the Super Bowl. Let's try to score some points instead of like just walking into halftime like that. I don't get it. You know, they they did take the chance. You know, yes, they were they were dumb not to call that timeout um, when they should have at the uh, you know right right before Kansas City punted away in the second quarter. Um, but they did take that chance uh, on that drive. Took the deep pass to Kittle. Which, in my opinion, that was not an offensive pass interference. It it was very similar to the play that happened in New Orleans with the Vikings in overtime. Um, if anything, I thought that play in New Orleans was much more an offensive pass interference call because you could see the defender's head pop back from the push from Rudolph. Um, but I, I I didn't see the same, you know, the same motion. You know, I I did see the extended arm, and I know. You know, as soon as the receiver extends the arm, that's offense pass interference. But it looked like they were both jo- uh, Josh for the ball, and it didn't really look like he knocked the um, 
defender too far out of out of place to allow him not to be able to make that play. Um, but, you know, that goes back to kind of what, what we've been saying all postseason, really all season for that matter. The refs have been so inconsistent. Speaking of, dude, talking about inconsistencies, did you see the play where it looked like a much worse version of the of the blindside block that the Bills got called for? Yes, I, I did see that. And that's a whole other thing too, right? Like, In my opinion, that was a much more obvious call because his back was completely turned to the end. You know, uh, and, he, and he threw that guy. It's not like... Yeah, yeah. The Cody Ford like barely pushed the guy. This guy, this was with force. I will say this: plays like that, and and same thing with that that offensive pass interference on Kittle. Those plays specifically, in my opinion, where they're bang bang plays like that, unless it's something completely obvious, the refs got to kind of put put the whistle away in the Super Bowl. I get it's Super Bowl, and I don't want to see a million penalties unless it's for an obvious hold or an obvious face mask or something like that. I was fine with the what seemed like the lack of calls, because it seemed like there was holding on both teams all game. I don't think there was one holding call the entire the entire game. Um, uh, definitely not on the Chiefs. I don't know if the whole game. I, I just thought that, uh, you, you know, I, I was fine with the referees calling the, calling the game the way that they called it. Um, I thought, again, there were a few missed calls, a few calls that were made that, again, they should not have made. Um, but... You know, we're not being paid millions of dollars by the NFL to ref. We're just two guys who like to watch football that are are talking about how bad the referees were. So, tell, tell you what, I was surprised by that I learned after the fact, uh, and I alluded to it earlier, is that ten points was the second largest blown lead ever in a Super Bowl. I was surprised by that. I know ten ten points is is a lot, but that's at any point in the entire game. Like I would have thought. There would be more comebacks, and it's just mm-hmm. sort of mind-boggling that they had a lead like this that literally no one ever blows except for the Falcons a couple years ago, and and he and they they blew it, and I think that speaks a little bit to the 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 majesty or the the impressive performance of Patrick Mahomes. Like we're so used to it, and you can tell me how you felt, but it almost just seemed, and I, I picked the Chiefs to win, but it almost just seemed like. Okay, here's Mahomes. He's gonna score. They're gonna win. Like it, it almost was not impressive. And given given how rare it is, it, I almost feel like it should have should have seemed more impressive. Like I don't. This seems like a forgettable Super Bowl to me in some ways, and it it shouldn't because of how rare that is. But that's just what Patrick Mahomes does. He does so many incredible things. You don't even realize. You're just like, oh, he's got it. It's gonna happen. Yeah, you know, I I think really Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, was was was. Not great until the fourth quarter, and look, fourth quarter is really where where he's going to make all his money, right? Like, there's a reason why he's going to come out and be the highest paid player in the league um, when all is said and done. Um, but in my in my opinion, you know, come fourth quarter, being only up by ten, um, I had a feeling that Kansas City was you know Kansas City wasn't out of it. I thought that last interception that he threw. Gave them a huge push forward for San Francisco. And I thought for sure San Francisco's got this one, you know, at that point, um, pretty pretty wrapped up. Uh, but again, they came out and they could not move the ball. They had a uh, deep pass that um, uh, uh, Garoppolo missed Sanders wide open. Looked looked very Josh Allen. He, he's this been season. taking he's been taking a lot of heat for that online and on the talk shows recently. That was 
Uh, end of the game, I, that was the chart. Or the, I'm sorry, the Chiefs were up four at that point. Is that right? Yeah. Like it, it was. The game was in the balance. Garoppolo took a deep shot. Sanders had his man beat, and Jimmy just missed him. Wide open. It, it, like I said, it, it, it reminded me of a few Josh Allen deep balls this year where you just had the guy and you just couldn't put enough under it. Now, we did take a big hit there as well. Um, you know, if I remember the play correctly, he took a huge, huge hit um, on that same play as well. But, you know, kudos to him for taking the deep ball and taking the deep, the deep opportunity there. Um, especially to a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. If that was Emmanuel Sanders four years ago, he uh, he makes that play. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe age might, might have cost him a step or two. Speaking of age, how about uh, how bad Richard Sherman played that game as well? I, I saw the highlight so many times this week of Sammy Watkins just turning him inside out for, for that big gain. Uh, I think I think it was, was that the 38-yarder maybe, but... Man, Sammy just made him look bad. And Sammy said he saw on film that Devontae Adams had done that against Sherman. But I mean, I don't. I mean, Sherman. I wouldn't say he had a bad game. Like I haven't like watched the film on him. He didn't didn't feel from my first watch like he cost them anything. He just looks like a guy who was elite and is getting a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely looked uh, looked his age in my opinion, um, especially on that Sammy Watkins play. Sammy Watkins just turned him inside out and uh and ma- made him look like, like the old man out there um but you know Richard Sherman he, he he was a lead at one point and he's a great lockdown corner and 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 again like we said last week they didn't give up that deep ball a lot all season so kudos to uh to Kansas City getting two real big deep balls on them you know that one to Tyreek Hill early on um and then that that that, that other deep ball deep to Sammy Watkins there there's one other play I wanted to talk about. I have not seen this mentioned. And I saw a ton of talk shows this week. I've been reading about the game. Fourth quarter, Chiefs got the ball back at the end of the game. They're up by four. They're running out the clock. 125 left. San Francisco takes their first time out. Second down and six. Damian Williams goes 38 yards, scores a touchdown, puts Kansas City up 11. People say that essentially clinched it, essentially clinched the victory, being up 11 with a minute 20 left. But there's, I, we're almost coming up on the scenario there where it's beneficial for Kansas, or I'm sorry, for San Francisco to let him score just to get the ball back. And I haven't seen anyone talk about this. If Damian Williams, instead of running in for the touchdown, just falls down in the field of play and keeps the clock running. The, 40, the game's over. The 49ers can't get the ball back. We went through the math before, or I went through the math before the show. The game, with two timeouts left, the game would have been over. They, they could not have gotten the ball back. Right. And it was, it's still a super long shot for the 49ers to come back down 11, but it's possible. Like, I haven't seen anyone mention that yet. It's just a little confusing to me where, and I know this, this comes up at the end of games where people have guys on fantasy teams and instead of going in for the touchdown, they just kind of fall down on the five. Like, that's sort of what you need to do. It's like it's like at the end of the game of basketball, it's like do you go in for a layup or do you just run to the corner to, like, kill some time? It's like sometimes the time is more valuable. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. You know, I think uh, at that point, though, really, I, I think at that point the game was over. I, I, once he scored that touchdown, there was really no coming back. For, right, right. For I mean, I mean it's, it feels over, but it's theoretically it could still happen. You right. could score, get the onside kick, and go down again. But it's like 
literally can't San Francisco could not have gotten the ball back if if uh, Williams gets the first down and goes down. So I was just curious if you I didn't I didn't think about that in real time because you're like holy cow just guy just scored a long touchdown this is exciting but looking back on it that seemed like it could have been a turning point. Yeah, you know I got a I got a stat here too I wanted to share with you earlier going back mm-hmm. to the, the 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 play in the fourth quarter by. Um, by San Francisco's offense, um, in the fourth quarter, once they went up twenty to ten, how many times do you think they threw the ball in the once they were up twenty to ten in the fourth quarter? On that very next drive, or total from from that point on, I, I guess from that point until uh, Kansas City took the lead. Okay, okay, because I was going to say after that point they had to throw a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, their running game, I thought, and especially in the first half, was good like it was getting chunk yardage i thought um i really don't know it feels like i mean i felt like jimmy g missed a couple of guys that were that were easy i don't know five maybe they threw the ball it's gotta be more than that i feel i feel like it should have been it should have been five i guess i don't know how many it actually was tell me from what i'm looking at they had eight plays from the point from when they went up 20 to 10 and in those eight plays, Garoppolo threw the ball six times. Six out of eight? Six out of eight. Wow. That is questionable. Were the runs some let me look right now. We got we got a six yard run, pass the kill for twelve, one yard run, incomplete. Jimmy G scrambles, still a pass call, punt. I'm surprised by this. Their run game, I thought, was giving Kansas City trouble in the first half. Exactly. And and I don't know why. I thought uh, Mostert was running the ball real well. Um, but this goes back to what we were saying before. Kyle Shanahan called this game, in my opinion, very similar to how he called the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl with uh, Atlanta and New England. He just seemed... To completely forget about the run game in the fourth quarter. R- reminds me of something else that we've seen in the past. Um, you know, it, it reminds me much of uh, watching a Brian Dable offense who just completely takes your best weapon out of the game at that point. You know, they, they were even running the ball real well with Debo Samuel all game, and they completely got away from that. I think he had their most yards per carry out of anyone. Yeah, he did. Or he was close. So I think this point you're hitting on was probably my biggest takeaway from the Super Bowl that could be applied to the Bills or just, just the football as a whole. And this this came up in the Super Bowl that the Eagles won, I thought, is that when you're playing good teams like the Patriots or a Super Bowl, you have to stay aggressive. You have to go for short fourth downs. You can't you can't settle. You can't feel comfortable. You have to keep going for it. And that came up at the end of the first half, like we mentioned. Um, it just it just felt like they, they sort of got comfortable or took their foot off the pedal. And it's like you can't do that against good teams, especially with powerful offenses like the the Bradys when when they were rolling, like Mahomes, like some of these guys that the Bills are going to see in the playoffs if they if they keep if they want to be a Super Bowl team. The teams that can score and can put you can hurt you like that. You have to stay aggressive and you have to keep putting up points. Oh, absolutely! They completely put took their foot off the gas and they had multiple opportunities in that game to to try to continue to move that ball 
and that offense just got too uh, too comfortable. Kyle Shanahan's inconsistencies, um, you know, or 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 you know, really first time as a head coach in a Super Bowl really showed up there, you know. Um, by the way, we we didn't mention this, but kudos to Andy Reid for finally winning one. You know, everything that guy went through um, in his time, you know, with, with Philly and, and his son that died and all that stuff that he's had to go through in his whole lifetime to finally get a Super Bowl. You know, kudos to him. Um, I think he's finally clinched his spot in the Hall of Fame. And uh, kudos to uh, you know Sammy Watkins and 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 uh, Lashawn McCoy, two former Bills for getting the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was happy for Andy Reid and even for LaShawn McCoy. He wasn't active, but it's still it's still good for him. As long as we're here, shout out to some of the other Buffalo people who won the Super Bowl. Uh, Reggie Ragland, I saw, was on the BBC over in London, had a had an interview after the game with Reggie Ragland. I was like, well, I guess that's that's pretty random, but I mean, I guess if you're if you're a foreign correspondent there and you're like, well, who's uh, who's available? And, and you see <laughs> you see Reggie Raglan there. But and, and, and the two guys from Buffalo that we mentioned last last week as well. Um, nice to see some hometown boys get get some get some love. You know who else that now I know he wasn't a Buffalo, you know, no Buffalo ties, no Buffalo player. I didn't even know that he was playing for Kansas City. I forgot that uh, Kansas City picked him up when Arizona cut him was Terrell Suggs. Yeah, isn't that great? Uh, wasn't the story he, he said he only wanted to go to Baltimore because he thought he could win a Super Bowl there, and then Chiefs picked him up anyway, and he still ends up winning the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, good good for him. I, I, I don't know what his future holds. I don't know if he's going to retire at the end of this year, but he's had a great career, and he's a multiple Super Bowl, you know, multiple-time Super Bowl champion now. Um, you know, won one with Baltimore years back. Um, with Flacco, and you know he's got another one now, and you know, th- good good. Hey, did you ever play the game. NFL Street video game? I did. All right, a couple of years ago, I went through and looked at like trying to figure out if any NFL Street players are still active. The two you would probably guess are Brady and Breeze. Terrell Suggs was in that game. Was he really? Like that's inc- yeah, incredible. He's the th- those are the only three players active. I just. Anytime his name comes up, that's what I think of. So I had to give him a shout out for being in NFL Street, the greatest video game I've ever played. Yeah, man. Kudos, PS2 kudos to him. Um, all right, I have the stats here. So Sammy Watkins had 98 rec- uh, receiving yards. Reggie Ragland had two tackles. LaShawn McCoy was inactive. Damone Harris from UB and Timon, he was active. He just didn't have any stats. Uh, Ryan Hunter was inactive. And Jody Fortson was on the practice squad. So those are the Buffalo ties to Super Bowl LIB. You know, there was a uh, a great game. We took a lot to take away from it. I'm hoping that uh, you know. How do you feel you did on your props? Okay, there were some that I'm some that I got uh, over ambitious on. Uh, <laughs> like which one? You know, I thought for sure the uh, the 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 over on the two and a half uh, people throwing the ball, which almost happened. Oh, dude, you almost had happened. it. I thought they had it. Almost happened. Debo Samuel almost threw one. Uh, not who I said was going to throw one. I, I I did say Emmanuel Sanders was going to throw one, but it did look like Debo was lining up to throw one at one point, and he got away from it. I did think with that Kansas City uh, trick play that they were doing when they they did that little spinny spinorama in the uh, that was cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I thought for sure 
that we were going to see a jump pass or something from one of the running backs. I got to be honest with you, you had a bold prediction last week. Emmanuel Sanders was going to throw a touchdown pass. And I was, uh, I forget what I was doing, but I like looked away from the screen briefly and looked back and I see <laughs> the receiver getting the ball. And I'm like, oh, this is an interesting play. And then he cocks back the throw. I'm like, and I, I didn't know if it was Sanders or not. I'm like, oh my gosh, Charlie's <laughs> about to hit this. Like, get out of here. And then it was Debo Samuel. And then he put his arm down and decided not to throw and ran for it. But anyway, uh, we promised we'd go through our, our prop bets. You want to hit these real quick? Yeah, let's, let's hit these real quick. We got some other stuff we got to get into. Let's hit these real quick. Yeah. All right, real quick. Uh, Chiefs won the game. They covered the 1.5-point spread. It was impressive to me. They won every playoff game by 10-plus. That was That's wild. Uh, total was 54.5. We both took the over. The game went under. Total was 51. Uh, I was surprised. Mahomes missed his passing yard total of 300.5. Were you shocked by that? Um, No. No. Uh, you know, n- not the way he played that game. Although... Uh, it did seem like Tyreek Hill went over his his over under was seventy five. He correct? did you, yeah you had that one. I took the under you. He had one hundred and five yards. Garoppolo predictably went under his two hundred and forty passing yards. He had two nineteen. Uh, what else here? We both we definitely had no points scored in the first six minutes. That one seemed easy to me. Um, I think that was the easiest one. Yes. Yeah, we would have made some money on that one, but we unfortunately, I don't know, well, I don't know about you, I did did not end up uh, putting anything on it, but um, I got a little overambitious on will there be a safety. Um, good odds for that one, but there was not a safety. You know what I was surprised by? There was no two-point conversion attempt. We both took yes on that one, and there was none. Um, winning margin exactly three points. You bet yes on this one at plus four sixty. I took no. It was not three points. You know, if, if Damian Williams would have ran it in for the touchdown, it would have been four. That's right. That's right. Um, last play is a kneel down. You, I said yes. You said no. It almost was a kneel down, and it ended up being fourth down. So Mahomes had to throw it away. That. Um, I didn't. I didn't have any action on this, but man, can you imagine how upset you would have been if they're kneeling down and you think you're about to win a bet, and then it's like, oh, it's fourth down. He's got to throw it away. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Uh, I had a feeling that that could have went either way. I thought, like I said again, I thought that was going to be more of a shootout, and I thought for sure it was going to come down to uh, a three point uh, yeah. victory. We we didn't talk about this, but I heard a lot of people who had Mahomes rushing yards prop bets. Uh, he was like just over it, and then with those kneel downs, he actually missed. He went back under. So that can imagine like what the emotions were like if you actually had a lot of money riding on that. That's terrible. Uh, total ints was one and a half. I took the over. You had under. I won that one. Um, game tied after the first score. We both bet yes. It was tied ten to ten. Uh, longest touchdown was 46 and a half we both took the under and won that one longest field goal was also 46 and a half we both took the over and lost the longest field goal was 42 yards um you beat me on this one more receiving yards kittle or kelsey i took kittle you took kelsey i was both surprised they both did fewer yards than i would have thought but kelsey had 43 kittle had 36 you win that one um neither of us got the mvp because we were looking for value there. We didn't take Mahomes. He was the the easiest one. And last one, the 
famous Gatorade color. Um, you, I was a little surprised. You got that? No, one. I took red. No, I took red. It was orange. That's right. That's right. I at that point, man, I was. Uh, uh, we we had people here, so I was kind of saying goodbye at that point. I looked back. I thought I saw the red. It was orange. I'm still trying to get to the conclusion of how they picked the Gatorade color. I have uh, I have a, <laughs> a, a, a buddy of mine that used to work with. Uh, that played in the NFL, that actually won a Super Bowl with the Giants their second second time around um, when they beat the Patriots. Um, so I'm de- I've am i been chatting with him a little bit. I'm like, man, you got to tell me how, how they pick it. And he hasn't given me an answer yet. He's currently on vacation. So <laughs> I'm hoping when he gets back from uh, his vacation that he, he gives me the answer I'm waiting on. All right. Well, let, let us know when you find out. Absolutely. So we're going to... Sl- we're going to transition. We can hand some Bills things quickly. Quick transition to free agency. Yes or no? Don't think about it. Just tell me. Do the 49ers win that game if Tom Brady's their quarterback? No. Tom. Well, okay, real quick. you got to be more specific. Tom Brady this year? This year? No. Interesting. No. I thought they would have had a, chan- a better chance, and it almost made me wonder if people are – some people were saying that the play calling showed that they don't trust Garoppolo. I don't know that that's true or not, but they can get out of Garoppolo's contract for a pretty pretty cap-friendly number this year. It's I think it's more likely than people think that Brady could end up there. You know he wants to be on a Super Bowl team. I think he should probably go to the NFC to try to get away from Mahomes. I, I mean, it sounds pretty unlikely that they would scrap a quarterback who just took him to the Super Bowl. If there's any truth to that rumor at all, I think Brady would would be in a good spot there. You know, I think um, Brady is staying where he is, unfortunately. Um, I think he's going to end up staying in New England. But uh, I did see that if they cut Garoppolo um, before March 15th, if they cut him between March fifteenth and March thirty first, he is. Uh, they they have to pay him, or it's going to be a, a cap hit of four point five million dollars at that point. Um, so I'll be curious to see, see which how is very manageable, right? Very manageable. Uh, you know, something easy to get out of, uh, if needed. But I'll be curious to see if if he's back next year. It's not like they really have a, a successor sitting behind him, where you know they can move him for for something. I was thinking about this today, though. Uh, how funny would it be to see him get cut and then Belichick say, I'm bringing him back in to... Uh, it could happen. It, it, I would love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd be curious to see how... He didn't want to get rid of him in the first place, so I'd be curious to see how, how he handles it. All right. Well, speaking of free agency, Greg Olson, tight end for the Panthers, was uh, reported to visit the Bills this week. He also has uh, reported visits with Washington and Seattle. Is that a player you'd like to see in the red, white, and blue? Dude, sign me up. You know, my big thing is, look, I know know they have Tyler Croft. I know they have Dawson Knox. I know they have uh, Tommy Sweeney as well. But you go and get a guy like Greg Olson, all you're at that point doing is giving Josh Allen another – um, you know, giving him a target that he can trust, right? Um, and great for two guys like Sweeney and Knox to learn behind him. Um, you know, just learn how to be a pro and and learn how to grow in the game at that point. And I, I think that'd be huge for for them. 
Um, and then at, at that point too, you sign Olsen, you can cut Tyler Croft, and you're only on the hook for a million dollars. All right. I mean, I think Olsen, he's going to be 35 next year. Does that concern you? No. I mean, not at all. I Again, he's... Some people have said, oh, you know, Greg Olson is just a name. But, uh, again, I think he's still able to catch the ball well. He's still able to play a high level of football. Um, you know, I, I would take him for a year. All right. He had he played 14 games this year. He had 52 receptions. 2017, he only played seven games. 2018, he was limited to nine games. So there's, there's a little bit of injury history there. He's getting old. I... I see what you're talking about, the positives. I think if they also pass on it, I wouldn't be broken up about it. No, I would definitely not be upset about it um, whatsoever. I think that uh, you know, if, if, if they get him and they bring him along, I am totally okay with that. Uh, I, I, I just think you need to get another weapon for Josh Allen at that point. I hear you. Anything else in Bill's land this week you want to mention? Oh, man. You know, just... Uh, not necessarily Bill's land, but one of my favorite uh, things to see. Now, for those who don't know, I am not a big fan of the Jaguars. Um, I, I, I kind of... Uh, my, my first ever Bill's game that I went to was the Bill's-Jags game uh, in Buffalo that Doug Flutie ran it in for the game-winning touchdown against the undefeated, at the time, undefeated Jacksonville Jaguars, and Buffalo knocked them off. But... Uh, so 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 from that point, I've never been a big Jacks fan, right? And <laughs> fair enough. The news came out this week that they are um, playing two games, two home games next year over in London. What what do you think about that? Is is London becoming like the new L.A. where they're just going to start saying, "Hey, you guys either need to start doing something to your stadium or or whatever it might be, generate more revenue, or you know." We can move you to LA, or we can move you to London. Yeah, that was that was actually my exact thought when it came out. Is is my th- my first thought was, wow, consecutive weeks in London, like that's going to be a lot for on the players. Then it's like your next thought was, wow, the Jaguars like might actually go there at some point, like move there forever. Like this could really happen. It's not just like a, a one once a year thing. And then my immediate next thought, thinking as a Bills fan and remembering. Every time, you know, they didn't have the lease was coming up and they were always hanging L.A. over over your head. And it was, hey, you know, you better do this or, we're, you know, we're going to relocate you to L.A. We're going to find a buyer. And it's like London feels like that could be next for me. It's going to be, oh, Bills, your lease is coming up in 2023. Better, better do something or we might move you to London. Like I could I could really see that. And I, I do feel that. There hasn't been any talk at all about Buffalo to London. It's it's been almost exclusively Jacksonville to London, so that part is a little bit of a relief. But I could very well see that coming into like the new, the new boogeyman that the NFL uses because they're all, they always try something. If it's it's they they want leverage, they want public money for their stadiums. Public doesn't want to give it. Well, it, same thing in every city. And I think the one thing that people always forget too is the owner of the Jaguars, Shad Khan. He owns a uh, a soccer team over there in London as well, um, in Fuller Full Fulham FC. Um, so I find that kind of interesting. That and if I'm not mistaken, I think that one of their home games is in their stadium, over there. Um, I think they're they're both at Wembley. Are they stadium, both at Wembley. So 
someone this year, I, I remember them saying someone this year, last year, one of the past couple of seasons, and there's been so many London games, right? Um, someone played at the at the, 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 the Fulham FC stadium over there, and uh, some people feel like the way that the stadium is designed, now I've never been there, I've never been over there, I don't watch a lot of soccer, um, but from what I've heard, from what people have said, the way the stadium is designed, it's designed perfectly for football. And uh, that's interesting. I wonder how like, how that's different from soccer because the fields are pretty similarly shaped. Like, what does that mean? I feel like the big thing is the way the seats are, the way that the you know surrounding the sidelines. Um, you know, m- maybe just the way that the stadium itself is built out at that point. Um, you know, I, I, obviously it's two different crowds for a football game and a soccer game. Um, but we'll see. I I, I think that the Jaguars will be the team, if any team moves to London, right, it will be them. Um, one thing that I found interesting, though, was their attendance, right? So the, the lowest attendance that they've had since 2008 was in 2009, when they only had 49,651 people on average um, to a game, right? Very low. Um, last year, last year was supposed to be a huge year for Jacksonville uh, in 2018. So we'll go back to that season. 2018 was supposed to be a big year for them. They were coming off of their um, AFC championship loss to um, to New England the year before. Um, and I think a lot of fans in Jacksonville had a lot of hope. And they put 66,000 people you know, in the seats on average. That stadium holds about 67,000 for a Jags game. So almost sold out every game last year. But this year, man, they took a huge dip. They went down to... Just about fifty nine thousand people a game, which is just the the lowest that they've been uh, since two thousand nine. So that's uh, that's rough. Yeah, and that's uh, I'm sure a lot of that too is visiting fans. I think so too. You know, I went to the uh, the playoff game there a couple years back. The stadiums, you know, it's not in the best part of town. Um, in my opinion, it's it, it's old. It was built for the Florida Georgia. Uh, game specifically, like that's originally why they built it. It wasn't originally built for an NFL uh, to be an NFL stadium, and then they brought the Jaguars there and they said, "Hey, we can use this." Um, but I, I find it interesting that they um, uh, just can't can't sell out consistent seasons. Now, granted, they they weren't good this past season. I, I but with Gardner Minshew, you'd think that they'd have a little bit more fans, I guess, at that point. Yeah, I hear you there. So I saw this week the Bills, they, they had a provision in their lease with Erie County where they could have opted out early, and that would have been this year. They were asked by the county to, to give them notice if they are what they're basically what they're planning to do, and the Bills sent over to Mark Polencar's, your buddy, that they are not going to exercise that option. So that keeps the Bills in place through 2023, which at least gives them some time to uh, focus on the stadium renovations, new stadium, whatever they're going to do, whatever they can afford to do, uh, basically just buys us some time. So that was good to see. So let me ask you, Nick, what do you think they end up doing? What do you think at the end of the lease, when everything's when it's all said and done, do they build a new stadium? Do they stay where they are? Do they renovate where they are? What do you think is going to be the end move uh, at the end of the lease? What I think they will do or what I would like to happen? Let, let's hear both. What do you think they will do and what do you want to happen? I mean, I think 
public money shouldn't go to stadiums. I think that the county and ever and the people who of Buffalo should basically not pay for it. It's it's a massive. Oh my god! I mean, I'm going to interrupt you real quick, just real quick, man. I'm watching the Sabres game, and I I, I had to bring this up. They just, they just tied the game up with 46 it. seconds left on a ridiculous bounce, and Evan Rodriguez picks it up and had a wide open net, and he. He just uh, he had a penalty probably about ten minutes before, where uh, Detroit took the lead. Man, I know I know Detroit's the worst team, but you know, great to see him battling here. Yeah, we're, we're taping this is Thursday night. We're taping this, so it's Sabers <laughs> Red Wings, and you know what? We should we should put up a, a banner. Didn't lose to a historically bad team. <laughs> that that is a banner. I'm, I'm sorry, earned. They could still lose in overtime. They could. Earned point against historically bad Detroit team. Hey, there's still 46 seconds left. Let's just see what happens here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But back to what you are saying about the stadium, man. You know, I agree with you. I don't think private you – know, I don't think public money should be used to build a stadium, uh, you know, or on anything for the stadium. But, um, I mean, if you're asking me what I think will end up happening, yeah. I think – Potentially losing a franchise would be so devastating that I think the public sort of folds a little bit and, and gives in just to not lose the team. Um, but honestly, I, I mean, just in my own opinion, I think they should just keep keep renovating the stadium that they have. Like it, it works; it can use renovations. But Terry Pagula said one time that they need to come up with a Buffalo style solution. And if you really think about it. A Buffalo style solution would be not having like the newest, nicest, best brand new thing. It would be making do with what you already have and making it nicer and putting money into it and keeping it up. But like it would be cool if we just had this beautiful stadium downtown, but I don't think the money's gonna work out for that. Like if the Pagulas wanna pay for it, which I don't think anyone is, is just excited about spending billions of dollars just to have something that they already have, um, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I don't see that. I think the Bills should probably just stay in Orchard Park, keep investing in that facility. You know, I think the big thing too is if they move, it would be great to see, you know, a setup like how they have in the bigger cities, right? Here in Atlanta, we got State Farm Arena where the Atlanta Hawks plays play right across from where the um, Falcons play, right? And, and Atlanta FC plays there as well, or Atlanta United, I'm sorry, plays there as well. So um, both of which are right next to each other. However, they don't get to tailgate. And I feel like, let's be honest, you take tailgating away from the mafia, I think we have a problem. Yeah, I've written that before too. A downtown stadium means the end of tailgating as we know it. And for the Bills, when with the videos that were coming out a couple years ago, mm-hmm. like I can see why they might want that. But that would also be majorly misunderstanding the market because the tailgate and just the, the party pregame is almost as important as the game itself for people. And not that they not that they wouldn't care, but it's why would it's going there. The reason that they buy tickets is just as much for the party as it is for the game. You can just watch it on TV if, if you're not going to party. Right. Right. I think anything is still an option. You know, I, I've been to a few stadiums in you know, the last few years. I've been to Miami. Like I said, I've been to Jacksonville. I've been to Tennessee this year. I went to Tennessee. been to Tampa. You know, obviously been to Buffalo. I, I've had season tickets and, and been to that stadium multiple times. Um, 
other than Tampa, out of the ones that I just named, New Era Field, in my opinion, is in the best condition out of all of them. And they just put a bunch of money into the Dolphins Stadium a few years back. And I was not impressed with anything they did there. Um, Jacksonville, like I was saying before, is, is a dump and needs a lot of work done. Um, Tennessee, for for where their stadium is, and it's it's not far from Broadway. It's in walking distance from Broadway in Nashville. Um, their stadium's not that impressive. There's nothing that I saw when I was there that I'm like, oh my gosh, Buffalo needs this. Um, now, Tampa, on the other hand, Tampa does it, in my opinion, they do it right. It's from their club level all the way down. Uh, their concessions are great. They have uh, you know, plenty of leg room at the seats. Uh, their prices for food is not ridiculous. Uh, leg room's underrated. I agree. Leg room is underrated. I mean, granted, every game I went to in Buffalo, I don't think I sat the whole game. But when I do get in there and I got to sit for a little bit after tailgating all day, yeah, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of leg room to sit down with. But I, I think anything's still on the table here, and I think that they have a lot of options going forward uh, for what they could do. And I'll be curious to see what uh, Terry and Kim come up with and see if they try to put something together with the uh, near the hockey stadium. Because the hockey stadium, let's be honest, the, the keeping center needs a lot of work as well. But that's a conversation for another day, and we'll, we'll see what, what they decide to do there. But, uh, you know what's interesting to me, though, you, since you, you mentioned that, is, is cities, to me, that have their stadiums, like, also are near each other. And even, I, like, I can think of Cleveland does that. Pittsburgh has has the baseball and football stadiums right next to each other. The Pagulas are buying up a lot of property, like, around the Sabres arena. Mm-hmm. And that that just, I don't know, like, that just, just, just raises my, radi- my radar a little bit that I wonder if they're trying to plan something just around that area yeah i'll be curious to see like i said what they end up doing um what their what their end i don't think it would a combo stadium would be super interesting i don't think it's feasible no no but um i would love it i just don't think it's it's i think i think they could match well not match but get something smaller in size similar to what they got in um uh in, in atlanta here what they're doing in la what they're doing in uh, Oakland, and I'm one of the, those people as well that I don't want to see a dome. The outdoor... Um, if, if they were to build one, I think it should be a dome. You think so? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the outdoor element is just, you know, something that we've had forever in Buffalo, and I, I don't want to take I don't want to take that away. Now, you know, at times maybe it's not as, um, as effective for, you know, home field advantage, but you know, games like the snow, the snow game, you know, years ago, that's something I want to see. I want to see it more often. You know, I would now, obviously I'm not, you know, mother nature. I can't control the weather, but you don't get, you don't get that experience inside of a dome. And, uh, and to me, the outdoor atmosphere of a Bills game was always the, the best part of the, the game itself. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I hear you. I think I, I looked at the numbers a couple of years ago right after that snow game and people always think that the bills have this home field advantage i looked at the numbers when the the weather was under 40 degrees or under 30 degrees uh the bills did not have any any more success than normal in cold weather so that that sort of goes out the window for me and it basically just comes down to whether you think december home games could be a real detriment to ticket sales down down the line. I mean, hopefully the team's always competitive and those are important games, but they're not always going to be competitive. And I think 
One th- uh, one thing, basically not scaring people away from buying tickets is important. One thing I've noticed though, going to the games years past, and you know, especially seeing all these crazy tailgate videos, right, is um, it seems like a lot of the games now are the younger people, like the thirty and belows, right? I, I mean, now now you do see the diehards that have been going to games and had season tickets forever, but I've been seeing, especially up in the three hundred, see a lot, a lot younger people that are are constantly going to the games that constantly have season tickets. You know, I know my cousin is a, a junior in college and him and his friends, there's four or five of them. They all got season tickets to the bills. They go, they sit up in the three hundreds and you know, a lot of them go because it's just a big party when you're there. You know? And, uh, I think that that's not going to hurt their attendance whatsoever. They're going to be fine with attendance, especially with the young, the young crowd there. Um, but yeah, man, I, we'll, we'll be curious to see what happens. It, it, we got a few years left, and I'm glad that they're going to be staying, uh, you know, at New Era Field for a few more years. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they just remodel that and, and, and move on. But hey, speaking of New Era Field, do we have our first fan question? We do actually. Uh, our first fan question comes from Nick Asia, and his question is: Why are the drum roll? Oh, yeah. The, 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 why are the Bills raising the season ticket price when they haven't had a home field game, home field football game in his lifetime? Now I'm assuming a home home playoff game. Yes, yes, yeah. a home playoff game. I'm sorry, uh, I just got very excited uh, wow. that we had our first fan question. So you know, <laughs> I, I forgot how to read for a second. Yeah. Um, All right. Nick, Nick's showing his age a little bit there. I thought he was older. Than that, <laughs> to be honest. No, I, I I think Nick's Nick's a younger guy from his profile. So. It must be the beard. That's right. That's um, right. All right. Well, yeah, I read that story. To me, it just seemed like uh, just run of the mill. Like this is this is life in the NFL. Every year, prices go up. So the prices, the increases weren't outrageous. And I hear you. I wish that this didn't have to be the case. But Bills Bills tickets are among the cheapest in the league already. So I don't. Uh, this just felt like business is normal for me. It didn't seem didn't seem to raise any red, major red flags to me. No, you know, I, I you knew it had to happen eventually. Um, I mean, at least they raised it on a year that they made the playoffs, right? Not on a year that they went, uh, you know, 4-12 and 12 and missed the playoffs <laughs> and are drafting fifth overall. So I understand it. It happens. You got to do it. You got to keep up with what's going on in the league. And they're still one of the cheapest in the league, so you're, you're really not, not missing much. Um, and it doesn't upset me as a former season ticket holder. That they went and uh, and raised their prices. So, um, man, I, I got to get into this because we got to talk some Sabers. We've been sitting here for a few podcasts. We've been talking a lot of football. Um, we got to talk some hockey real quick. We had last week we talked a little bit about the epic Dwayne rant. Um, which if you haven't listened to it, you got to go find it. It's it's worth it. Um. And also, if you're not following him on Twitter, follow him on Twitter as well. Uh, he's got some 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 great takes after each each Sabres game the last few weeks. Um, but man, what what is going on with this team? I mean, did you see what Ted Black said this this week on Twitter? Well, I guess it, it, yeah, it, I thought I think John yeah, John Vogel Facebook tweeted that it, right? Book a, right, yeah, he posted Ted Black of all people was he had put out a statement on Facebook. And just surprising to me that Ted Black's not even with the organization anymore. He was run out of the run out of a job, and of all people, he's the first guy who can actually put out a statement and like 
take some blame or say anything helpful? Like, how is it possible that, that there's a whole organization that's seeing all this stuff and instead of like trying to reach out to their fans or like say we're sorry or like basically do anything that people will appreciate, they've been mostly silent other than calling a radio station and demanding that they reportedly take down their tweet, which was a story in the Atlantic this week, um, tweet linking to Dwayne's rant. Um, and I'm going to read right from Ted Black's thing here. He says, uh, regardless of of one's line of business, passionate vocal customers are tremendously valuable. Dwayne's message speaks to the importance of being accountable to and connected with those customers, especially during transition or change. When customers lash out, it creates a unique opportunity to reach out. That's how you foster loyalty. And to be honest with you, he's exactly right. And it's just amazing that someone who was run out of the organization is the only one there who still realizes this and is doing anything about it. So that was my takeaway on Ted Black's statement. I love the fact, by the way, that this was put on his LinkedIn page. <laughs> Not a, was it LinkedIn? Yeah. I thought it was Facebook. No, that, that's LinkedIn. That is definitely LinkedIn. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's all right. That's even better. <laughs> I mean, Theodore and Black on LinkedIn in case I was trying to find it. But I love, I love how he put it on his LinkedIn page. I thought that was uh, very, very creative, but um, no, I agree with him. Um, I think he was right out of the organization for a guy that we watched struggle for so long with the Bills, um, you know, to, to then put him in charge of the Sabres, I'm like, what, what are you doing? Why are they doing this? Um, but I will say I do think that this team needs to go out and get themselves a, um, you know, a president or someone to hold this GM or the next GM accountable for what they're doing. Um, I don't think that that's been handled real well with uh, um, uh, with with this current current regime um, I'm also just not a big fan right now of of the GM I think he's made a lot of dumb moves and obviously the Ryan O'Reilly trade is one that sticks out um, but to have your team doing what they were doing earlier this year where, where they were streaking and where you you really could have had a chance to, to move some players when when you're you're so deep on the blue line and then to move one of them for a fourth-round pick that you're going to turn around and then trade for a guy like Michael Froelich, which he hasn't really come in to help the team in any way, um, just blows my mind. I, I think he needs to do a lot more work uh, with this team, and I don't know if he's going to have another year to do that. Yeah, and th- this story, it's like this is not just a Buffalo thing that only exists in Western New York. Like Greg Wisniewski from ESPN today put out a story. Here's his tweet. Horrible hockey. Fan protests. Anger at ownership. Yeah, the Buffalo Sabres are a mess. My look at the sad state of the franchise. Like this is on ESPN.com. Like this is this is major and the Sabres can't just pretend it's gonna go away. ESPN who never talks hockey, right? Well <laughs> they a few pointed features and this that this, this is what was big enough in hockey for him to talk about right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, and this team is a mess. Um I'm hoping they get it fixed. I was listening to uh, WGR before the game today, um, and they had Pierre Maguire on, which I don't really listen to a lot of what he says, but he made some good points, right? He he, he can he says that uh, you know he sees his team being very active at the deadline, um, possibly bringing in some some higher end prospects and draft picks. But I'm so tired of trying to build this team to the draft. If you're going to bring in draft picks, fine. But I don't want to turn them into picks. I want to. I want to then turn them into guys who can come in and help us 
next season at that point. I'm so tired of trying to wait three, four, five years for players to come in and help this team win and do anything. You need to go and get guys yeah. who are going to help you right away. And especially if you're a GM whose job might be in the line, trading for draft picks doesn't help you. In hockey, it takes three or four years sometimes for those guys to actually reach the NHL. Like If you trade for picks, those guys are probably going to help the next GM. Like That doesn't help you. You need on-ice product that helps you next season. My favorite tweet that I've seen in the last uh, um, few weeks was the Sabres are a Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane away from being a contender. And I'm like, that's so true, though. And if you're watching the game right now, the Sabres are in a shootout, and Eichel missed his first and didn't make a move. He just took a shot, and uh, Bernier stopped it, and Dylan Larkin just scored. So Detroit's up 1-0 in the shootout, and uh, Sam Reinhardt's shooting right now. Let's see what he can do, if anything. Uh, Ooh, He had the goalie down and out, and he puts it right in his pad. Come on, Reinhardt. All he had to do was pop it up, and he was standing still. (laughs) <laughs> Jeez, this team, man. All right, such a headache. We got we're we're getting toward the end of our show here. Is there anything, any moves you could see that would be legitimately fair deals that could actually help the Sabers that Botterell could? Make? I think you need to move uh, Ristolainen for something. You know, at that point, I don't care if you get a guy who's deep in and the Sabers lost in a shootout. Um, I don't care if you go and get a guy who's a high prospect, I guess, at that point, who can maybe come in and play next year. You know, um, I look at guys um, that they brought in in the past. I would love to see them go out and make a move and bring in a guy like uh, um, Danny Briere if they could. You know, obviously not Danny Briere anymore. He's retired, but a guy similar to that. I think they need to go out and get a guy who can come in and, you know, up and down, hasn't had a, a, a great start to his career, but has a lot of potential. That's where they need to go get. Go get guys that have some potential in this league at this point and see what you can do. Wait till free agency. Wait till the draft. Um, you know, We know that there's a lot of moves that, that, that are usually made at the draft or usually talked about being made at the draft. But don't try to rush a trade for that number two center that's going to come in and be a rental player, right? Go and take your time this offseason and go find one because you're going to need one. You need a number two center. Casey Middle said it's not your number two center. Dylan Cousins is not coming in next season and being your number two center. And truthfully, nobody that you draft is going to come in and be your number two center. You know, um, I think Detroit, obviously, you know, the lottery we've seen it go all sorts of ways. We've been screwed and helped by the lottery, you know, multiple years. Um, but I, I don't see Buffalo getting number one. I don't think they're going to be bad enough to get enough uh, lottery balls to be number one. Um, but it, it, it is a deep draft this year, and I think that they can go out and, and, and find someone for the future. But at the same time, you need to go out and find players that can play now. I, I really don't know one player off the top of my head that I want to see them go out and get, but um, I think you need to make a move. Move Ristolainen. Um, move Bogosian if you can. I don't care if you move Bogosian for a bag of pucks at that point, but um, <laughs> move Bogosian, move Rodriguez. I'm okay with all of that. Um but I think the most important thing as well, let Middlestep finish the season down in um, in Rochester. He needs it. Let him finish down in Rochester and then see what he can do next year. If anything, you know, if you feel like he's not going to provide much to this team, I have no problem with them saying, look, we made a mistake, we messed up, um, and move on from him at that point. 
you know, you might be able to get a decent prospect back for him as well, who may be struggling elsewhere and maybe just needs a change of scenery. And maybe that's what Middlestad's going to need is just a change of scenery somewhere else. But uh, we'll see. This team just need they, they just need so much. And, and the fact that they don't have any cap space and a team like Colorado has $20 million in cap space and you look at who they have on that team and what they're doing blows my mind. Hmm. All right, interesting stuff here. We're going to talk a lot more Sabres coming up on future episodes. Um, before I let you go here, the XFL starts this weekend. Are you going to watch? Um, so, yes, I am going to watch. Uh, the pro wrestling fan in me is going to be tuning in because it's, you know, it's a Vince McMahon thing, and obviously I want to see, see what it does. And the original XFL uh, fan in me is also going to watch. I know it's not going to be as... Uh, as crazy as what it was in years past. Um, but I'll, I'll be curious to see how, how different it is. Um, plus, it's football. I just like watching football. And I'm totally fine with um, watching the XFL. And, um, you know, Vince McMahon has a lot of money. And I can see them, you know, having to dive into that money for a couple of years. I don't see them going away after one season like the uh, previous football league did. Um but we'll see. Uh, Seattle versus DC at two o'clock on uh, on ABC on Saturday. So should be a good game. And I think there's a few Bills players or former Bills players on on that DC. Yeah, team. former Bill Cardell Jones is going to be the starting quarterback for DC. Tyree Jackson from UB is also on that team. A couple of former Bills around. Um, punter Colton Schmidt is with LA. Hamburg native Jake Shum, who's a punter, he's with Tampa. Uh, a couple other bills here: Cyril Richardson, Austin Prohl, uh, basically some forgettable guys. But uh, Doug Whaley is involved with. Uh, he, he's a senior VP for uh, football operations for the league. So uh, I guess hopefully he's he's privy to some some of their uh, goings on. But it'll be interesting his, uh, to see. I'm shocked he didn't bring his buddy Tim Murray with him to do something. I know Tim Murray's hockey, but that was that was supposed to be a joke, people. Um. Maybe he's still at Osteria. They can. <laughs> You never know. You never know. But yeah, I, I mean, All right, I'm, I'm definitely that's going to do watch. it for this episode. Thank uh, you so much for listening. If you like it. what you heard, you can subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and now on the Google Play Store as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore process pod. We got more Bills for Agency talk coming up in future episodes. We got the NHL trade deadline later this month. We got a lot more coming your way. So thank you for listening, and remember to always trust 